0: What a great time of worship, amen? I, I so appreciate uh, what uh, Courtney and her band does. I find myself, I found myself weeping over here, and I'm thinking, well, I'm not tired, <laughs> and I'm not, I'm not sure exactly what's going on other than the reality of those words are really hitting home to me of just how amazing and good our God really, really is. Well, good morning and welcome to Grace Church. Uh, My name is Bill Walker. For those of you who may not know me, uh, I am so glad that you are here. I can't tell you how grateful I am to be here. You know, I have the greatest position in the world. I get to work with the greatest people in all the world, and that's you. And I just love what I do here. I love you, and I'm grateful uh, for your love for Christ if you're new with us i want to welcome you to our series called seeing with the eyes of faith seeing with the eyes of faith Uh, you know once i was blind before i knew jesus but then i could see after i came to know jesus christ the spirit of god came into me and gave me faith to be born again in faith to be able to see life from god's perspective and we're able to do that through something called the word of god god in his graciousness condescended to actually reveal himself and his plan and will in and through this world and we have a possession of that right here called the Bible, the Word of God. With the eyes of faith through the work of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, I can see eternity past. I can see the creation of the world and the reason why God made this world. As I take this, this, this thing called the Bible. And with the eyes of faith, I begin to look around. I can understand what's going on in our world. I can understand why people do what they do. And with this thing called the Bible, in the eyes of faith, I can see beyond the grave. I can see the future. And I can see all the way into eternity yet to come. All of that is made available to us in this thing called the Bible. The Bible. But it does require us to have the Holy Spirit within us and then by faith to seek to make these things real in our experience. So we're going to do that over this week and in the next few weeks to come. Uh, Next week, just kind of a heads up, on Tuesday, of course, is election day. And one way or the other, we're going to have a new president. And uh, everybody said, okay. (laughs) So we're going to have a new president. Uh, And the reality is this, so how do we understand this in light of of the day and age we live? And how do we understand this through the Bible? Well, next week, Matt Duransky is going to be up here. He's a grad of Annapolis. He, He is a wonderful man of God. He has a great grasp of Scripture. He's going to help us to see our country as God sees it. So I want to encourage you to come back for that message because it may be very, very timely. But before we go there, it's really important that we kind of start here first that we kind of start by understanding who we are and how God sees us. So today, as we talk about seeing with the eyes of faith, we're going to talk about seeing myself as God sees me. In a very real way, what we're going to do today is we're going to take a biblical selfie. Okay, So we're going to take the Bible, and we're going to hold it up, and we're going to take a picture of ourselves, and what we're going to see is how God sees us. Now, the reality is this. We're going to talk about this from the perspective of somebody who has already embraced Christ with their life and is walking with him. If that's not you, please listen, because perhaps God will be drawing you to himself because of the realities that we talk about. What we're really talking about today is something called biblical identity. Biblical identity. We live in a day and age today where identity is all over the board. And people are trying to turn uh, the role that they play in relationships, you know, I'm a father, I'm a husband, I'm soon to be a grandfather, I'm a son. We try to find identity and sense of meaning through these relationships in our lives, the role we play. Uh, A lot of us try to find our meaning and our identity in and through our work, Uh, those things that we do, you know... um, I am a pastor, some of you are contractors, some of you are white-collar, some of you are blue-collar workers. We try to find who we are often in what we do. It can even go back to the point of, you know, our nationalities or our associations. A lot of those things are where many of us can draw our sense of who we are. But what I want to say to you as we begin this morning is this. If you try to find your identity in any of those things, if you can find it, you can lose it. And if you're going to try to create your identity through any of those things, if you're going to create your identity, I want to understand, I want you to understand something. You can have your identity stolen by somebody if you're going to create it, or somebody can come along and mar what you've created. You really cannot find your identity. You cannot really create your identity. The only place to have an identity that is absolutely rock solid for eternity is to have your identity ascribed to you by the one who matters the most. And that is none other than the creator himself who made us in his image. If you really want to know your identity, you need to go to the one who created you. And we're going to do that today. And so, this is the key phrase. We're going to use it over and over and over again throughout our series. Take your Bibles, please. Take your Bibles, please. Whether that's a hard copy or an electronic copy, take your Bible, please. Because it is impossible to have biblical faith unless it's founded on the... Oh, you're getting it. Yeah. You see, you can't have a true Christian faith if it doesn't come from the Word of God. And so there's all kinds of ideas out there, but we're actually going to go to God and ask Him His idea. So with your Bibles in hand, turn with me to Romans chapter 8 this morning. Romans chapter 8 this morning. as we Seeing myself as God sees me, or if you will, taking a biblical selfie. So just before we open up the scriptures and really kind of jump in and look at a whole lot of cool stuff this morning, Uh, We need to pause. We need to go before the one who wrote this word and ask him to reveal it to us. Wow. Father, I'm just overwhelmed with who you are. Overwhelmed by your goodness and your grace. Overwhelmed with your unending love. And I am so humbled, uh, having just walked through this uh, a service ago and just realizing who I am in light of all that. I'm nothing. Absolutely nothing. Yet you looked upon me and in great great love made me your own i just pray that in the next few minutes that these words from romans 8 would land on the ears of our hearts and that we might see ourselves as you see us in christ i pray these things in christ's name amen amen so with your bibles in hand We are in Romans chapter 8, and uh, I asked you last week if you would please take some time and read that. Anybody actually read Romans 8? There we go, there we go, there we go, there we go, good for you. Because in reading Romans chapter 8 in advance of today, you're actually going to have a better understanding of where we're going. But what we're going to do is we are going to unpack Romans chapter 8 together. Now in order to understand Romans chapter 8, it was written in the context, a context that actually gives it meaning. So the context of Romans chapter 8 is in the context of the book of Romans. So just before we jump into chapter 8, what I need to do is kind of give you a quick overview of how the book of Romans came about. Uh, Romans was written by none other than the apostle Paul. Paul had never been to the church in Rome. So there was this active group of believers who were in the city of Rome. And friends, all roads led to Rome. And so, too, all roads led out of Rome. And so the Apostle Paul, the great missionary that he was, was writing a, if you will, missionary support letter to the church in Rome, saying, hey, I'm going to come by, I want to have some fruit among you, but I want you to really help me on my way to go to where the name of Christ is not named. I want to go to Spain. And so the Apostle Paul writes this letter to a group of people that he has never personally met in order to lay out who he is and his teaching around the gospel. So with that in mind, the uh, primary statement of the book of Romans is Romans chapter 1 and verse 16. It says this, the Apostle Paul says, For I am not ashamed of what? That's right, the gospel. The word literally means the good news. The good news that God took pity on us. Sending his son to become one of us, yet without sin. He lived the life we were meant to live. He died the death we were meant to die. And by faith in Christ, we can be right with God. This is the gospel. This is the good news. And so he says, listen, I'm not ashamed of this great message because it is the very power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And so what he does in the remainder of the book out of this statement is he lays out his teaching about God the gospel. And so if it's good news, it must be good uh, off something that is not so good. And so in chapters 1 through 3 of the book of Romans, the apostle Paul lays out a very compelling uh, argument about the issue of sin in everyone's life. Romans chapter 3 verse 23 sums it up, for all, for all. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are all condemned. We are all uh, running from God. We are all under God's condemnation. So that's chapters 1 through 3. It starts with the bad news, and then it gets to the good news. In Romans chapters 4 and 5, Paul now talks about salvation, the goodness of God to rescue us. And Romans 5, 8 summarizes that lovely. But God showed his love for us. His love for us. And that while we were still sinners, running the other way, not caring about God, doing our own thing, He sent His Son Jesus to die for us. So it opens up with the bad news, but it's true. And then it gets to the good news. Yay! By faith alone and Christ alone, we can be made right with God. And so that's Romans chapters 1-3, through 4-5. through 5. And then verses 6 and 7 deal with the next section. It's called sanctification, or the progressive... Uh, righteousness that's growing in our lives to be like Jesus. And so chapters six and seven, he lays out this idea of having now been set free from sin by faith in Christ, we have become slaves of righteousness. So there you have the gospel. It's about sin, we're sinners. It's about salvation, God sent his son. If we'll put faith in Christ, we can be rescued. And once we're rescued, God starts working in our lives to make us like Jesus. Now in Romans chapter eight, This is the one we're going to look at. In Romans chapter 8, it talks about the eternal security of the true follower of Christ. Romans 8.31 says, listen, if God is for you, who on earth can be against you? Amen? If God's on your side, if God's the one doing the work in your life, who can say anything against that? Notice we have chapters 9 and 11 there. So when he talks about eternal security for the follower of Christ, the believer in Christ... Uh, The question then arises, well, what about Israel of old? I I thought they were God's people. Why did God set them aside? Didn't they have eternal security? I don't understand. And so he answers the question about Israel in chapters 9, 10, and 11. So sin, salvation, sanctification, security. This is the message of the gospel. Now, chapter 12, surrender. Chapter 12, verse 1, because of the mercies of God, You should present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Chapters 12 through 14 deal with what it looks like to be surrendered to Christ in the surrounding world. And then we get to his supplication. Notice, Romans chapter 15 and verse 24. I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you. Do you know what he's saying? I need your help, I want your support. Can you guys take me into your your missionary prayer area and give me some financial backing so I can go to Spain and preach the gospel there? So you see, the, the the book of Romans is really a missionary support letter. The apostle Paul was asking for help to take the gospel elsewhere. He never actually met these people until later on. So, everything counts on context. So if we're going to talk about this today, the security that we enjoy in the work of God in our lives, we need to understand that we are sinners, that our salvation is by faith alone in Christ alone, and that after that, God is at work in us, making us like Jesus as we live in love and obedience, hence security. Okay, with all that said, let's talk about this together. So this is where we're going to focus in, and what I'm going to say is this. What time is it? I'm going to take you all the way through chapter 8 of Romans in 30 minutes. Ready, set, go. All right, here we go. So the first thing I want to say to you as we look in this section is this. God's pronouncement over you. God's pronouncement over you. Romans chapter 8 and verse 1 begins this incredible section, often referred to as the greatest chapter in the Bible, with these words. There is therefore now, say it with me, no condemnation. Don't forget the last half. There is no condemnation for those who have embraced Christ with their life, for those who by faith are in Christ. There is no condemnation. Now, the word uh, condemnation is actually a judicial word. It is a word that they use uh, in, in court cases. It is a legal word. And so what is, what is going on here is this. The apostle Paul is now referring to what he has already spoken about in Romans chapters 4 and 5. And what he spoke about there was not just salvation, but this idea of justification by faith alone in Christ alone. Justification is a legal term, just like this word is, uh, condemnation. So justification is a legal term, and it is a divine verdict where the righteous judge of the universe declares a guilty sinner not guilty. The just judge of all the earth says over those in Christ, not guilty. So there is therefore now no for those who are in Christ Jesus. So Paul is picking up on his previous discussion about justification by faith. And this stuff is awesome. Based upon faith in the person of Jesus Christ, justification is the reversal of God's attitude towards the sinner, towards us. Whereas formerly, we were under condemnation already. Did you know that? You know, one of our favorite verses in all the Bible is John 3.16, right? How many of have ever heard of John 3.16? Oh my gosh, if you've ever watched a sporting event, you've seen it. It's in everything, everywhere. It's a great verse of scripture. So let's say it together, shall we? Uh, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. King James Version, sorry. Others have memorized it other ways. But, um, so that's a great truth. God's great love for us found in the person of Christ. And if we will believe in him, we will not perish but have everlasting life. But two verses after that. In John chapter 3, in verse 18, it says this, Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. You know, too many people think, you know, someday when I get to heaven, I'm going to stand before God and I'm going to kind of put out my case, you know, my good works versus my bad works. I think i have been a pretty good guy and not such a bad guy. But they don't seem to understand when they get there, God's going to say, guilty. I, I, I never got a chance to defend myself. There's nothing to defend. You've already been condemned. That's what the Bible teaches. So we are under condemnation. We are under the righteous wrath and judgment of God. But when you step into Christ, By faith and faith alone, we are now declared not guilty. Faith in God, or through repentance and faith, God now vindicates us. Not guilty. Although the sinner once lived under God's wrath as a believer, he or she is now under God's blessing. Think about that again. We are no longer under the wrath of God, but we are now under God's blessing. I say, wow, wow. Justification is a great term. It's a term we don't use very often. It is a legal term. It is a wonderful theological word. Uh, somebody likened justification to this. Uh, justification is like just as if I'd never sinned. Justification, just as if I'd never sinned. And that, that captures it pretty well, but that does not do justice to what justification in the Bible really is, because it is not merely a pardon. It is not a, a, a simply um, God forgiving us of our sin, but true justification is where God also gives to us. He credits to us. He imputes to us the very righteousness of Jesus. So think of it like this, not guilty, fully righteous. What? How can that be? I mean, I, I know me. I know I'm guilty. But in Jesus, not only is your sin forgiven, but you're given his righteousness. So our standing before God can be in Christ." Somebody put it like this. I, I thought this little image might be helpful. Um, it it, it, it kind of captures it. So here I am. I have put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I have turned from my sin and myself and I've embraced Christ and, and seeking to, to know Him and follow Him with my life. And when that happens, the Bible says this, our guilt, my sin, is credited to Jesus on the cross where God the Father killed His Son to deal with the price of my sin. But that wasn't all. He didn't just forgive me. He now gives me Christ's righteousness is now credited to me. Which comes with it, this whole host of additional blessings that become mine solely on the basis of Christ. I didn't do anything. I simply believed. Notice what else it gives to us. So, the Bible says this in Romans chapter 8 and verse 15. You have received the Spirit of adoption as and daughters. You have been adopted by God as sons and daughters. This is again a legal term used in the day in which they, uh, in, in Rome is the idea of being placed as mature sons and mature daughters in all the privileges and responsibilities that go with that position. You have been adopted by God as sons and daughters, and now we can cry out, "What?" Daddy God. So he went from being our righteous judge, who could have said guilty, but he doesn't. Because of Jesus, he says, not guilty. Fully righteous. Come here, my child. Whoa, 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 wait a minute. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Whoa, whoa, whoa. All I did was believe in Jesus. Yeah, And because you have believed in Christ, your sins are forgiven, the righteousness of Christ is given to you, and you've now been made a child of God. Romans chapter, or John chapter 1 and verse 12 says this, but as many as received him, Christ, to them gave he the right to become the children of God, even to those who believe in his name. Oh, you think that's good. Well, we're not done yet. So that's Romans chapter 8 and verse 15, but it goes on to say this, and if we're children, guess what? We're also heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Can anybody give me an amen? Oh, my gosh. I, I, I believed. That's all I did. I came by faith. I embraced Christ. I turned from my sin, and I embraced Christ. And so you're telling me that not only is my sin forgiven, right, and the righteousness of Christ is given to me so I can have a perfect standing before God, right, but he also makes me his kid, yeah, and he gives me everything that Christ has, yeah. I feel very humbled in this moment. <laughs> you know, there is this thing called the embarrassment of riches. And if we really, by faith, see what God has done for us in Christ, through justification by faith alone in Christ alone, we should walk around with the embarrassment of riches. Who am I? Quite frankly, you're nobody. It's all about Jesus. He's everything. And so God does this beautiful thing in Christ. And so this makes this possible. I want you to hear what Jesus says in his high priestly prayer in John chapter 17 to his father. Jesus makes the statement, Father, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and, read that last sentence with me, loved them. You're kidding. I am as loved of God as His only Son, perfect son, righteous son, beautiful son, second member of the Trinity, Jesus? Yes. Yes. You know what we, some of us need to do right now? We need to stop, and we need to say, "Oy, they. I had no real understanding of just what god has done for me in his son we've only just begun so right now is the perfect opportunity uh, for us to observe this thing called communion together i want to invite those who are are going to be serving the elements to come forward if you would and uh, we're going to take just a few moments And uh, we're going to observe uh, the death of Christ on the cross for us in light of justification by faith. And so as these elements come by, please take the cup, please take the bread. We will partake together in a minute. In Christ, you have been made Flawless.
1: you too. Shoot
0: cross has made you flawless in the eyes of God your Father by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. Jesus Christ the evening before he was crucified for our sins gave to his followers in the upper room this command and this opportunity. It says in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 26, now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it he broke it and he gave it to the disciples and he said this take eat this is my body let's partake can somebody say thank you Jesus amen goes on to say this, that he then took the cup, and when he was uh, giving thanks, he gave it to them, and he said, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood for the coven- of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And when Jesus forgives, he forgives freely, fully, and forever. Let's partake. Can someone say, Thank you, Jesus? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for the incredible gift of your life. You sacrificed yourself for us. And because of that, all that awaits us is because of your love and obedience for the Father. Thank you, Jesus. Help us to continue to hear these things with ears of faith and understand them in the core of our being, and may we live differently as a result of it. In Jesus' name, Father, amen. Amen. Oh, we've just gotten started. I've only got a few minutes, so here we go. We're going to continue to push our way through the remainder of chapter 8. So it begins with God's pronouncement, chapter 8 and verse what? So we've covered one verse. Here we go. Not only do I want you to see God's pronouncement over you in Christ, but I want you to see, secondly, God's presence in you. Romans 8, 9 says this, The Spirit of God, (laughs) this is funky. I mean, just to try and get your arms around this, the Spirit of God dwells in you. One of the great truths of the Bible is that when we come to Jesus by faith, That we are born again as children of God. And God's Spirit himself, the the third person of the Holy Trinity, comes and lives within us. Let me say that again. One of the incredible truths of the scripture is that when we by faith come to Jesus, we are born again as God's children. And the Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity, comes and lives within us. Oh my gosh, what does that even mean? God dwells in me. We have God the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. We have been made partakers of the divine nature. You are a holy habitation of God. Oh my gosh, dude, the eyes of faith see this and believe this. This is unreal absolutely incredible and yet it is nevertheless true god has shown us this now there are many truths found in romans chapter 8 verses 2 through 27 and that's the part that deals with the work of the holy spirit in the life of a believer it talks about God's presence, the Holy Spirit being in us. It talks about He being God's power to help us through sin and suffering. But the Holy Spirit is also God's promise given to us. It is that angle that I want to look at for just a moment with you. In Romans chapter 8, in verse 23, it says this. We ourselves who have, and here's a unique way of referring to the Holy Spirit. The first fruits of the, Holy, of the Spirit we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons as sons and daughters and the redemption of our bodies. You see, God has given us this great promise, but the realization of the promise largely is yet future. And so by giving us the Holy Spirit, what he's saying here is as a firstfruits, He is saying that I am going to finish what I have started, and the Holy Spirit is an evidence of that. So the first fruits of the Spirit is Paul's way of saying that the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life is a guarantee that we will eventually have all that God has promised to us. Redemption of our bodies, the inheritance in Christ, everything God promises us is coming to us and the gift of the Spirit is a first fruits, a foretaste of the full measure that is still to come. And so he says that here in Romans chapter 8, verses 20, verse 23. But I love the way he puts it in the book of Ephesians, chapter 1. He uses a similar concept. Notice what he says in Ephesians 1, verses 13 and 14 In him, Christ, you, in him, you. In him you, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is, there's our word, the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. And so what God does is he not only pronounces over us the fact that we are not guilty, that we are, we are fully righteous, that we have become his children, that we are joint heirs in Jesus Christ, but he also places his spirit into us as a first fruits and a promise or guarantee that the rest is yet to come. The word guarantee literally means earnest money or a deposit given by the purchaser as assurance that the transaction will be completed. It is a little Greek word that is the word arabon, arabon. That's what the word guarantee is. The Holy Spirit is our arabon, the guarantee from God. The cool thing about this word arabon is that as time went on in Greek culture, the Greek word arabon actually took on another meaning or an additional meaning. And the word literally means today, if you were to go to Greece and you were to see a young lady walk by and you were to say, excuse me, but can I see your arabon? She would hold out her hand and she would show you her great big engagement ring. And her arabon is the promise that the one who is betrothed to her will fulfill it on the day of their wedding. So in a very real way, the Holy Spirit is God's engagement ring to us. And what God is saying by giving us the spirit by faith in Christ is this. I love you. I love you. And the day is coming where the bridegroom will come back and he will take his bride to be with him. And I assure you that that will happen because I placed my spirit in you. Ooh. Moving right along. God's pronouncement over us. You are, therefore, there is no condemnation, not guilty, but fully righteous in Christ. You are God's children, joint heirs with Jesus Christ, all through justification by faith. He gives us God's presence within us through the Holy Spirit, who is God's engagement ring, a guarantee that he will fulfill all that he has promised. And next, in this section, he goes on to give us God's plan for us. God's pronouncement over us, God's presence in us, God's plan for us. And so these are very familiar words for some of you. Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 30. It begins this way. And we know. What do we know? The way we know it is by revelation. And we know because God told us that for those who love God. That's an important phrase here. In fact, in the original language, it's actually set to the front. For it, to make it emphatic, that what he's about to explain to us is designed for those who love God. This is not true of just anyone. This is for those who, through love, uh, through God's love for us found in Christ, we then embrace Christ, and now we love God. And so this is for those who love God. If you're here today and you know Jesus, this is your, God's plan for you. This is what God's desire is in your life, and he will ultimately realize it. Here we go. And we know, because of divine revelation and by faith, that for those who love God, what's it say? All things, that can't be true. Can it? All things? What about those hateful things? What about those mean things? What about those, those, those people who, who do horrible things to us? What about all those terrible Facebook postings? Can God use that for good? Come on, really? What about sickness? What about What about... What about, what about, I think it all fits under the term all things. What do you think? All things, good or bad, um, hurtful or wonderful, uh, evil or good, all things God will use in the life of his children for God's good in our lives. Now, God outlines what that good is. He says this, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And his purpose is this, that for those whom he foreknew, he has predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. In order that Jesus might be the firstborn among many brothers. So God's desire in the life of every child of God is to make us like Jesus. Hence, that's why we have this phrase up here, to live and love like Jesus and help others to do the same. Why? Because that's God's plan for you. And so everything that happens in your life, God will use for the good of making you like Jesus. This is his plan. So whatever you're going through right now, whatever relationship may be difficult, whatever health issues may be confronting you, I want you to understand God can use that. And God can use that for your good and the good that god's going to use it for is to make you more like his son jesus christ i hate to say this but it's true god has a favorite child you're not supposed to do that as a parent are you god does his favorite son is jesus and in jesus he loves us all like jesus but his goal is to make us like jesus and so verse 30 this summarizes it all and those whom he predestined predestined as the idea to be conformed to the image of his Son. Those whom he has predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, he has called. This is an efficacious call where God calls us to himself in salvation. And those whom he called, he calls us to himself in salvation. He is also justified. He has declared us not just not guilty, but also righteous in Jesus. And those whom he has justified, not just not guilty, but righteous in Jesus, he is also in what's the word? Yeah, there's something wrong with that. How can that be? If you'd notice, that word's like in the past tense. How's that possible? I mean, that's like the future, right? And yet God says, when I see you, I see you in Christ. I see you as my son. You have all the rights and responsibilities to go being a mature, adopted child. I'm going to give you all kinds of, I'm going to make you an heir with Jesus. I'm going to put my spirit in you. And my plan for you is such that you're as good as glorified already. This is what makes this chapter so incredible. It is called the greatest chapter in the Bible. If you're a child of God here today, you should be blown way. Not by how good you are but how great God is. It's all dependent on him, not us. All we do is come to Jesus as guilty sinners and own up to that sin and embrace Jesus and say, forgive me, Jesus. Now lead me, Jesus. And God gives us this. But that's not even the end of it. (laughs) Yes, I'm going to do it. We're going to make it. Lastly, not only do I want you to understand God's pronouncement over you, God's presence in you through the Holy Spirit, God's plan for you, ultimately you will be glorified. God sees you as good as glorified already. But I want you to understand God's promise seals it all. Romans chapter 8 and verse 39, Paul says, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. What I want to do is I want to end by looking at these last few verses in Romans chapter 8. And what I've done is I've taken them that Paul spoke under under the authority of the Holy Spirit as revelation, and I've actually made them from the Father. I've modified them slightly. If you have an issue with the way I've modified them, we can talk afterward. (laughs) But what I'd like you to do, what I'd like you to do is take just a minute, and I'd like to ask you just to bow your head, and I want you to hear these words spoken from your Father to you. So if we could just quiet down for a minute and kind of bow our heads so there's no distractions and open the ears of our heart, I want you to hear the Father's voice to his child. Oh, my child that you would by faith know and embrace and experience these wonderful truths in your life let me ask you if i am for you who can ever be against you really if i did not spare my own son's life won't i also give you everything else i promised Who do you think can hold an accusation against you? Have I not chosen you and given you a righteous standing with myself, my child? Who do you think would dare condemn you? No one. For Jesus, my son, died for you, and I raised him to life for you. And right now, he's sitting in the place of honor at my right hand, and he is praying earnestly for you, my child dear one, can anything ever separate you from my love? What if trouble or calamity were to come? Or you were persecuted or go hungry? Or become destitute or even in danger to the point of death? Could it possibly mean I no longer love you? By no means. Despite all these momentary things, I will give you overwhelming victory because I love you. Did you hear me? I love you there is nothing you could ever do to make me love you more and there is nothing you could ever do to make me love you less I love you perfectly in Jesus nothing no nothing can ever separate you from my love for you neither death nor life nor angels nor demons Neither your fears about today or your worries about tomorrow, not even the very powers of hell itself can separate you from my love. There is no power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate you from the love of your Father in heaven, the great love that I have extended to you in my Son and your savior, and Lord Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, the word amen means it is true. It is true. Now with the eyes of faith, we need to embrace that truth, find our identity in Christ, and in the words of the Father. Uh, As we close, I want to ask you to read aloud with me the following words. Seeing myself as God sees me with the eye of faith, repeat after me, I am a flawless child of the living God and a joint heir with Jesus Christ of the eternal kingdom of God. Fully guaranteed to me by the presence of the indwelling Holy Spirit and God the Father's eternal plan, backed up with an unbreakable promise of the Father's. Click. Click. That is your divine selfie. Father, uh, a lot of us are are easily shaken by things that go on around us, and some of them shake us right to the core. People that we love can reject us. uh, Jobs that we enjoy can leave us. Children that we cherish can grow up and go away. And often when we tie ourselves to these things, it's easy for us to lose confidence, to have our identity in things that we should just simply never have it in. But I pray today that this divine selfie from Romans chapter 8 would make its way into our hearts. Father, you are amazing. And it's all by your grace. Thank you. Father, in the name of your son, Jesus, I pray. And the people of God said, God bless you.
1: what you say.